Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pivot and Thrive. This is Kim Shea. I'm a certified retirement coach, and today is October 30th, 2020, and I am speaking today to Dr. Wayne Anderson. He is a retired family practitioner, and he's going to talk to us about his transition through retirement and the amazing things he's doing right now. I just told him before the podcast, I'm very envious of what he's doing, and I hope that you'll be inspired by what he's doing, and it might resonate with you as something you'd like to do, too. Welcome, Dr. Anderson. Thank you, Kim. It's great to be on. Thank you. So why don't you tell us what you were doing before you retired? Um, I went to um, UC Irvine as an undergraduate um, with the intention of uh, taking over the family plastics business kind of oh. right out of the graduate. Kind of didn't like the engineering as much as I thought I would and transitioned into biology. And then that led into pre-med. And I was fortunate enough to get into UCLA med school, um, went there for four years, graduated and decided on primary care and did a residency um, for three years at the Santa Monica UCLA program um, in Santa Monica, California. And then after graduating, it was kind of the first time in my life I could decide exactly where I wanted to live. So um, I had a sister who lived in San Diego and uh, I'd been down there. So I moved to San Diego in 1982 bought a house and still live in the same house. That's actually one of the keys to retirement is, you know, not continually having to have more and more and more. Joined a small practice in Lemon Grove. Um, at the time, it was a Lemon Grove Medical Group. And the Lemon Grove Medical Group was uh, actually one of the first, if not the first group practices in San Diego. It was at a time when group practices were kind of taboo and everybody mm-hmm. had to be, um, you know, solo practice. And so I joined a group of older doctors. And uh, two years later, um, Scripps Clinic um, wanted an East County satellite. And so we merged with Scripps Clinic and was in the same site and being fortunate enough to care for the same people for 35 years. And um, it's the Rancho San Diego, East County, part of La Mesa. So that's what I was doing um, before. It was it was a, a great career. I'm very happy. Um, uh, you know, I kind of always planned on retiring somewhere between age 65 and 70. Um, actually retired a year early. Um, there were you know there were a few things going on at the clinic. There was a few changes. Um, also, my wife has had some health issues. Um, and, you know, I kind of, uh, always promised myself that I would retire early rather than late because, uh, I also had some administrative positions at Scripps and saw some physicians who probably were practicing beyond their optimal. And I really never wanted to, to do that. So at age 64, things kind of fell into place and I decided to retire. That, that's interesting. So you you knew when it was time to retire, because yeah, um, you know, primary care medicine is is really demanding, and the advent of the electronic medical record, which um, overall will eventually be a good thing, but in its current iteration, um, it's putting a lot of stress on the primary care docs. Um, basically, kind of you've changed your your work pattern to get up early, you work on the electronic record, you go to to work, 
Um, you work, you know, your normal 10 hours, you come home, have dinner with the family, you're back on the record till you go to sleep. Um, messages and, and results keep coming in weekends, holidays. And so really it, it is putting a lot of stress on primary care. I mean, that said, the electronic medical record overall is a good thing and it will eventually be a good thing. Um, it's just primary care docs have a tremendous amount of responsibility for data entry, um, you know, and, and maintaining the record. And it just puts a lot of, a lot of stress. So yeah, I, I sensed, you know, I, I could, I could tell that my patience was a little bit less than it should be. You know, you start to feel, you know, a little bit more anxious and irritable. And I said, yeah, no, it, it's, it's time. So, you know, I think it's important for, you know, people to kind of recognize the early signs, you know, not be afraid to either change or or retire or do something different when you just get that, you know, you just get that sense that, um, you know, you're not where you need to be at this time. That's interesting, though, because so you were busy. I mean, what you're expressing is that you were really busy and high demand with your job up until the time that you retired. So you, I, I would guess you didn't have time to set a lot of things in place. So were you scared in terms of you didn't know what was next for you or had you been working on that? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a little bit of trepidation. Um, you know, being a, a physician kind of has a big footprint on your image of self um, and, you know, there was, you know, there, there was some trepidation. I think ideally, you know, it, it, it's, it would have been nice to be able to go, you know, and, and do a part-time gig or to taper down, but those options were really not readily available. You know, you kind of, you kind of all in or all out. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was busy, um, you know. You're talking 60, 80 hour, hour work weeks. And, uh, yeah, at 64, you can't do what you did at age 44. Yeah. It sounds like there wasn't a lot of work life balance. It was. No, it, yeah, it was starting to get a little bit out of balance. And, you know, I promised my wife that, you know, at the end, when we sent the kids off, that it would just be our time. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that played a big part in it too. Um, and in retrospect, it's, you know, it's been a, Pretty fantastic three years. Okay, so you've been retired for three years. So um, for a lot of people, if that's if their life has been their job and they have a title, especially someone with a title as big as doctor or attorney or something like that, for a lot of them, it's hard to step away from that because that's who they are. Um, is that something that you have had to go through to figure I, out who you are? Absolutely. Um, okay. You know, you have to, you have to, kind of discover who you are as a person, who you are beyond being a doctor, um, what's important to you and, um, you know, how you want to contribute going forward. Um, especially in primary care, there's a lot of reward. You're, you're helping people, you're contributing and, um, it leaves a big void and you have to really find, you know, find a way to, to fill that void. Um, yeah, for some people, they're tired, like, and that would be completely understandable in your case, if everything you'd been through is so stressful, you gave and gave and gave that 
now you would want to retire and you just want to sit and just be. But that doesn't sound like that's the direction that you've taken. No, not not at all. And I, and I don't think that that's a healthy way to go. Um, I think that, you know, you need structure and, and uh, uh, you know, regular goals and regular hours. Um, I still get up at the same time that I did every day, mm-hmm. a regular schedule that I go through. Um, you know, when I made the transition, I, you know, I approached it kind of like um, every other major endeavor and, and sat down and wrote a 10 page outline and said, okay, you know, this is kind of, you know, these are the things that I want to do. Um, the major places that I broke things down into, you know, as a doctor, you might suspect that, you know, maintaining physical health, mm-hmm. the, the big things, maintaining intellectual health and, and trying to avoid cognitive decline. And then, you know, uh, spiritual, um, religious, uh, meaning. Uh, so I, I broke it down into those, uh, three big categories. And under those categories, um, listed, you know, kind of the things that I, that I wanted to do. Um, you know, for example, in physical health, um, uh, certainly you need to maintain a certain degree of cardiovascular fitness. Um, but beyond that, as you age, um, muscle strength, balance, um, you know, those are, those are really critical things. And so, um, I've maintained a long time Pilates, uh, practice and have, mm-hmm. have a private Pilates instructor that, um, um, we were just able to, to restart seeing again. Um, I've created a, a little home gym with a BOSU ball and a TRX and, and doing all the, the, you know, balance exercises. Um, you know, the, the, the fall prevention thing is, is a big thing. And, um, it's important to maintain your, you know, physical fitness because one thing that we all have in front of us is aging and illness. And mm-hmm. so you've got to maintain as much strength and fitness as you can so that you can physically, and then we can talk later about how you develop mental resiliency and emotional resiliency. That'd be great. So, so yeah, the, the, you know, the, the, the physical fitness thing is, has been great. Um, we splurged and got a Peloton and, and mm. that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I find, I find that I can get my heart rate up higher when I have s- some younger person, uh, <laughs> tell me to do it. And then somebody else, you know, you're watching the screen and you see this person is, is catching up with you. So it's been a lot of fun. So, so yeah, do that's that, cool. um, to, to maintain the, uh, the cardio. Um, and, uh, you know, initially I thought, well, you know, I've got to play golf because all doctors play <laughs> and all retired doctors play golf. So, you know, I went, I took golf lessons and had a little, you know, putting things set up and I just didn't like it mm-hmm. and I just wasn't very good at it. So the, that was one of the th- things on the list. The other thing on the list that went the went by the wayside was fly fishing because as I became more and more involved in Buddhist philosophy, um, that kind of wasn't compatible. Um, mm-hmm. you know, hurting other sentient beings like that just didn't, didn't uh, 
didn't fit. So those are the only two two major things that I thought, yeah, I'm definitely going to do when I retire. Um, I also thought I I watch a lot of sports and a lot of TV and find that I don't ever watch sports anymore and don't turn the TV on. Um, but you know, my son still texts me when the Lakers and the Dodgers are on. So, <laughs> so you can keep up on the critical. So I keep up on on the, on the, <laughs> the critical on the critical. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's fun too. It's fun to be a part of something like that. You know, get excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. So then, you know, the second category was, you know, intellectual, trying to make sure that, you know, to to maintain, you know, as high a degree of cognitive functioning as possible. And, um, you know, as as a physician, I kind of I learned a lot about that because I saw a lot of my patients, you know, with severe cognitive decline, um, and and naturally Alzheimer's and you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of little things you can do. You can do crossword puzzles. You can you can read. Um, you can do some of the online things. But the two things that actually have the biggest impact are number one, learning a musical instrument mm. and playing a musical instrument, and number two, learning a foreign language. So those are two things that um, I think can help maintain your cognitive function better than just about anything else. And I would suggest it to a lot of my patients and most of them would kind of roll their eyes and say, yeah, there's no way to do this or do that. But the ones that did, um, you know, uh, had a really good experience. So I started guitar. I've been playing for three years. Um, and my wife actually thinks I'm getting pretty good. Nice. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's one of those things that, um, allows you to just focus your mind, you know, because our minds kind of go, go in a million mm-hmm. different directions. In fact, that's one of the things that, that I've, I've studied a lot is, um, you know, maintaining presence and mindfulness. And if you look at some of the, some of the studies, they show that 46.9% of the time, your mind is somewhere other than in the present. And these are, you know, large, large studies. So when you're playing the guitar, it, you know, if you, if you really want to play it, your mind has to be right there. And so it's a really good training. And, um, you know, then, um, so I'll, I'll spend about an hour a day doing that. Um, and then um, another hour learning Spanish. And I've had a same Spanish instructor um, and uh, ho- hoping that, that the Spanish will also involve evolve into being able to to be helpful to that group of people last year i went down to uh, honduras um with one of the women that i did uh, my residency with and uh you know we stayed in a little hacienda and slept on the floor and hopped in the back of pickup trucks and rode into these villages that basically there's no health care and we distributed medications and did did exams and vitamins and, and it was very rewarding and unfortunately this year um those kind of things aren't possible but eventually yeah. it was nice to be able to put the spanish and you know some of the some of the medicine to work so you're able to use your spanish then absolutely that's absolutely. really cool and I, you know, I studied and retook and passed the medical boards, um, and I still keep up on my continuing medical education. And uh, you know, just in case I want to go back or 
um, you know, want to use it in a volunteer capacity. Um, you know, it's nice to keep that that fresh. So I've been yeah. talking a lot. I mean, do you want to want me to? Oh, I'm just, or, no, I'm hanging but, on your every word. You're like a you're like a textbook how to retire example. Oh, <laughs> you're you're oh, doing oh, oh, everything's oh, amazing. You're hitting everything. It's really great. And then then last, you know. You know, you can call it, you know, spiritual, mental, religious. Um, long time ago, probably, you know, 25 years ago, when my wife was diagnosed with um, breast cancer, um, we, involved, we enrolled in a mindfulness-based stress reduction program, MBSR, um, through John Kabat-Zinn. And ever since then, I've kind of practice mindfulness and meditation, but really kind of on and off, you know, the, the same excuses, you don't, you don't have time. But now in retirement, I've really honed in on that and, and, you know, do a daily sitting for at least 30 minutes and then 15 minutes followed by a, you know, a silent um, Dharma talk. And I usually get up very, you know, earlier than my wife and I sit and eat breakfast very mindfully trying to focus on, you know, the tastes and the sensations and going through a gratitude exercise. Mm. It's when you really think about, you know, you got a bowl of cereal and you've got some fruit. How many people do you need to be grateful to, to have brought that food to you? The people who, you know, grew the grains and picked the fruits and delivered them and are working in the store. So it's, it's, it's kind of a neat way to start off your day being mm-hmm. grateful and being silent. I don't, I don't have any media on. I don't have, I don't check my iPhone or my iPad or anything really until much later until I'm done with, you know, a mindful portion of the day and the meditation. And, and, you know, even with exercise, I try to focus on the breath and sensations in your body. and, And when the thoughts intrude, come back to what you're doing now. Um, so that's, that's been kind of fun. Uh, right after <clears throat> retirement, I did a 10-day Vipassana silent retreat, um, and that that's that's like a that's a boot camp for meditation. <laughs> so um, you know, I, you're, I was able to really increase you know my ability to sit um, for longer periods of time and and the ability to recognize when my mind wanders early on and then return it back to to where I want to be, you know. Um, I think that's part of, you know, part of the thing with, you know, with being a doc is, I mean, you know, you're working in undergraduate to the next thing, which is your med school, and then you're working in med school, which is the next thing, which is residency, and then, you know, fellowship, and then practice, and it's always the next thing. And mm-hmm. I think that in retirement, all of a sudden, you get to the thing that kind of, there's not a big next thing, or if you really look at the next things, you you really have to you know start to realize that you really want to focus on on the present and what's going on now and and, and the current things. So um, uh, and you know we attended um, and will attend again you know kind of a secular uh, Buddhist temple that we would go to. Um, and we came involved with them and, and did some, some volunteering. Um, and, um, 
it's it, it's it's been a wonderful you know, it's 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 been a neat it's been a neat journey and you know the buddhism for me is so compatible with my science and medical background and my you know psychology background that 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 they're really it's a it's a very neat fix i mean a, a very neat mm-hmm. fit for me so so um what else um about 10 years before I retired, I joined um, the board of uh, Family Health Centers of San Diego. And for people who don't know, it's it's the biggest and I think by any objective measure, best community clinic in the, you know, in the country, really. Um, mm-hmm. It's grown, um, you know, uh, tenfold. Um, uh, and so I've been involved in, you know, helping them with strategic planning and, you know, on some of their committees. And, and so that's been, been, um, a real rewarding thing to, to do. Um, and just recently I finished with the, uh, um, there's a, La Mesa had a task force, um, looking into our homeless program. And I know up in Carlsbad, you guys, um, you know, made some some pretty good um, strides in helping the homeless. But I participated with, you know, a group of citizens and we met, lasted almost a year, you know, with with COVID and everything. And we reviewed all the resources out there and developed a, a, a program and a plan, which we presented to the city council just a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to be rolling out what we call our home plan, which is a homeless outreach mobile um, unit. And we're going to hire um, social worker, navigator, um, you know, addiction, medical person. We're going to hire two full-time people. They're going to get in the van. They're going to go out um, and um, find the homeless people where they are, um, try to get them resources, uh, try to help them, try to get them uh, placed. Um, we're going to work through the police department. Similar, there's a program in, in Eugenia, Oregon called Cahoots that we um, looked at. And basically that program um if a call comes into the police for a homeless person or a mentally ill person or something, you know, substance issues, rather than sending the police, they'll send a social worker, an addiction specialist. So it'll work in that way. So if the police department gets a call uh, and it's just a homeless person, they'll send this home unit out there. Or, you know, or if it's somebody, you know, who's struggling with a mental illness, they'll send the home people out there. And, you know, if they need to be there from a safety issue, they will too. But this way you have, you know, you have, you're not putting the burden of the police department to take care of things that they're really not trained to do. So we're real excited about that. And, and um, it should be rolling out this year. So that was really fun um, to participate and, you know, part of the joy is that you see, you know, you hear all the bad things going on. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, you know there are just a lot of good people um, on the committee that are, you know, genuinely trying to help people. So, you know, so that was kind of a, a fun thing to do. Um, that, that's really cool. That's really current right now with what's going on in the whole country. Yeah. yeah. So you're on the pulse of that. Yeah, and it you know it, it you know it started out just as a homeless thing, but kind of 
you know, evolved into <clears throat> really the early signs of, you know, of police reform too. Mm-hmm. It's really you need to have people who are expert in the things that the police are going to. They're being asked to go out and deal with mentally ill people and homeless people and people with addiction problems. And, um, you know, why not send people who, you know, know that? Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, you know, the, the other thing that the other thing that that I've done all along, but I'm doing more of is, you know, taking online classes. And, um, you know, you, it, it's wonderful because I've taken classes. I'm currently taking one from the University of Edinburgh, one from Harvard. I'm taking classes wow. from, um, you know, people in Amsterdam and Ireland. Um, and you get kind of the, the thought leaders and, and those have kind of focused on, uh, two things. Um, you know, one Buddhism, but more than that, um, positive psychology, um, science of happiness, looking into what truly makes people happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because when I first started, you know, in medicine, you, you do a lot of psychology, but it's kind of focused on depression and anxiety and the bad states and, mm-hmm. Um, over the, you know, the last decade or so, positive psychology has involved, evolved in saying, okay, what really makes people happy and what are the components of happiness? And so if you, I mean, you look at, you look at, um, certainly there's a genetic component. I think that, you know, the, maybe 40% of people's happiness is, is is related to genetics um and then there is a situational and i think we all feel that you know if only we had this or if only our situation was this or if only we won the lottery then we would be happy turns out that that's about 10 to 20 percent of your happiness your situation and um, those things are actually very fleeting and so then, then it leads you with the other 30 to 40% that you can actually change. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what I'm working on that other 30 to 40%. That is so great. Where did you find all these classes? Um, I use, um, there's, there's an app called edX, EDX, and um, they have a lot of them. And then there's another one that I'm using called, it's, it's um, online, it's called Coursera. And they have a lot and you just basically, you know, you can register. Um, most of them are free. You put in kind of the things that you want to learn and they, and they pop up. What a great um, resource. Yeah, it, it really is. on um, the online thing, especially during the pandemic, um, it's really nice to, you know, and you can go, it's like you go back to school and you learn things. But yeah. you don't have to pass the test. <laughs> Even though with my obsessive nature, I always try to. And of course. <laughs> Still want to be the best. But, but uh, you don't have to. Or if there's an essay that you're asked to write, you don't have to write it. Uh, <laughs> but you can still you can still learn things. So that's been that's been uh, you know another resource. So you just gotta keep that mind keep the mind going. And you certainly have, like superpower to that level you've you've really worked really hard to do that you keep pushing yourself yeah yeah um you know there's some things that um that 
you know, I had hoped to do, but the pandemic has, has put a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a tamp on it, but I, you know, it's kind of in the, you know, in the future. Um, uh, I've, I guess I hadn't mentioned that I, I was going to, um, uh, Metropolitan Correction Center in San Diego in the prison downtown, um, once or twice a week. And I would teach a class on Buddhism and mindfulness yeah. meditation. Um, I taught it along with, um, a younger man who is a full on therapist. Theravada Buddhist. Um, he's, and, and, uh, it's very interesting because I would approach it kind of from the Western mindfulness evolving towards Buddhism. And then, you know, the Buddhists kind of all of a sudden, you know, they approach it from that standpoint. But before long, I'm reciting Buddhist sutra and they're talking about psychological studies. And, and you kind of meet in the middle and there's just not a lot of incompatibilities between the two of them, hmm. which really, you know, really kind of amazed me. But, but that was very rewarding. Um, and I took a, um, a, a course um, called the Path to Freedom, which basically combines Buddhism, positive psychology. Um, you know, there's some kind of um, AA things spiced in, but it's a program that, if applied, the recidivism, um, which is almost seventy percent, if you don't help these people, goes down to less than ten percent. So I incorporate some of that. Um, and you get into, you get into the, to the, to the prison through the religious studies and work with the chaplain because that's really the only right that prisoners have. They do have a right to practice a religion. So, you know, so, so we go in, you know, and, and we talk a little bit about Buddhism, but also, you know, life skills and, you know, how to recognize, you know, when sensations in your body are telling you to do something that may not be the right thing to do and how to be, you know, in that present moment. I often tell the, the studies, there's this one guy who is, you know, uh, sitting in the back of the, of the uh, class, similar to the class that I, that I, um, uh, and teaching, and he was sitting in the back and not paying any attention. No, you know, nobody thought he was learning anything. And um, so it turns out that this guy was confronted with another prisoner. He picked up that prisoner, grabbed him, was going to throw him over the edge, and he said, and then I remembered to breathe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's and, so and wonderful. I took a breath and I down. And so just by sitting in the back, he remembered to, because we, we tend to act the way we always have. Mm -hmm. Our mind, basically the mental circuits. I also took a, a recent class in, in neurophysiology. And the circuits that we use over and over again almost become unconscious cir circuits and we react in the same way. When somebody says something, we react in the same way. So the whole purpose of mindfulness and meditation and, and Buddhist philosophy mm -hmm. is to pull into the present moment and say, is that really the best way to react in that time? 
You know, so you anchor yourself with your breath and sensations in your body. Pull yourself into the present moment and say, is that in my best interest, in this person's best interest? So just try to, you know, get people, because, you know, some of these poor prisoners, I mean, you know, since they were children, you know, they were subjected to, you know, to abuse and violence and learned one way to react. Um, and so part of my goal is to, to try to maybe present an alternative and say, okay, all right, let's come in the present moment. Let's not just react the same way we always have and see if there's a, if there's a better option. And how well do you think it's received? Obviously, that guy in the back, I mean, that was, was a huge reception right there. But um, overall, would you say, like, uh, on a percentage scale, how many people do you feel like are open in that community? It, to it's, a real, it's, a real, it's a real good question, Kim. And, you know, I don't, have, I, I don't have accurate data. I can tell you that in um, – uh, people who are doing the formal program, the recidivism rate, as I mentioned, goes down to, you know, five, 10%. Okay. So, so it does help. The Buddhist program that we're teaching, yeah, you know, I'd say there's, you know, 20% of the inmates sit in the, in the front. They learn, they know everything that you're saying, they meditate, their eyes are closed when you do the meditation. Um, I would say there's probably another 30 or 40% that seem to be paying attention, um, you know, most of the time. And then there's, you know, another, you know, 30% or so that's kind of sitting in the back and, you know, you don't know if you're getting through to them at all. Although, again, it's hard to tell, you know, that one guy that you know, it's the way you thought you were getting through to him. Yeah. So one of the things that I had also hoped to do through family health centers is um, we we had purchased a, um, a hotel in Imperial Beach, and we were going to convert that into an alternative to incarceration for you know, younger first-time drug offenders. Um, and I was hoping to, to teach at that because having the experience of being in prison – and briefly in, you know, in Donovan, you know, I kind of, kind of say, you know, that's kind of not where you guys want to go because that's a training ground for, for mm. these people to get, to get worse. Um, but you, you know, the, that's kind of been slow tracked. You, you know, you have the not in my backyard. Oh, yeah. that don't want to have, um, you know, that those type of people next to them, but, but eventually I will figure out a way um, to, to get involved in, in that, um, you know, and trying to teach, teach those skills. Um, so, you know, I kind of, that's, you know, most, you know, I'd, I'd also like to get a little bit more involved um, maybe on the medical side with some of the immigrants coming across the border, mm. you know, the learning it's one of the reasons I'm learning the Spanish um, and keeping up on the medicine, just, just as a volunteer. Um, but it becomes really difficult in the era of COVID. Um, you know, yeah. especially, you know, I have, a, I have a wife who has, has basically no immune system. So you, know, you can't bring things, things home. Yeah. You have to be careful right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm just blown away by all the things that you're doing. How do you find all your opportunities? I mean, you, 
you know, a lot of it is putting yourself out into the community and getting involved in organizations. Um, the, you know, I knew that I was interested in um, criminal justice and, you know, and trying to help people who are incarcerated. Um, when I was looking for um, uh, an organization and a place to do that through. That was one of the reasons that I joined this particular Buddhist temple is that they had an outreach into uh. the prison um, system. And so then, you know, you meet people there um, and that kind of, kind of blossoms out. Um, being on the board of family health centers um, gives you a network. Um, um, we're working with homeless people. We're, we're, Trying to move into into you know helping people who have been recently released from prison and getting them health care, and so you know that type of a you know service organization or or board um, thing helps. Um, going to Honduras, I've I've networked <clears throat> with a lot of my fellow physicians and my still keep up with my residents. This was through uh, a woman that I did my residency with at Santa Monica, you know almost 40 years ago. So just maintaining, you know, maintaining contacts. I think, you know, you kind of need to know what direction you want to do and what you're interested in. If you're interested in homeless or criminal justice or immigrants um, and, uh, you know, then join different groups. And and there are also a lot of online things, but I've I've kind of relied on personal contacts and and joining groups. So networking has still been very valuable. Yeah, it's, it's been very, yeah, it's been very valuable. Um, um, so, you know, and, and the, you know, we have, as you know, we have a very, very um, tight neighborhood group and um, some of them have been involved in local politics. And they mentioned to me that they were forming the citizens task force. They thought I would be good. So I went down and, and interviewed for that. Um, so kind of, you know, through different people and word of mouth. Yeah. I really like how you're really staying involved like that so that you have this really rich life. It almost sounds in some respects, it, it's not that what you were doing before wasn't rich because you're helping so many people every day as a physician. But right now you, your, your reach seems so big. Like you're just reaching so many people and in so many different walks of life. It's really very admirable. I can, you know, you keep, you keep trying, um, you know, for me, um, there's still a lot that I really want to do. And, um, you know, the last year or so, as I said, has slowed it down, just being, not being able to be physically out there. So I'm trying to spend as much time as I can kind of tuning the instrument and, you know, reading and studying so that when I am able to, to, you know, go back out that um, um, I'll be able to, to be helpful to, to more people. And again, when you look at happiness, happiness, you know, generosity, uh, gratitude, we talked about generosity um, is really one of the, the keys to happiness. Um, and that's not just from a Buddhist standpoint, that's from a, you know, uh, top psychologist at UC Berkeley and in Amsterdam, um, no matter, and I've taken half a dozen positive psychology and they all come back to, to generosity and kindness 
um, as, as some of the keys to, to happiness. I'm so glad you're teaching people because as you're listening, I'm thinking you could have your own thought leadership practice where all you do is teach people all the time about what you know. You have so much to share and so much that you've learned. Thank you. Um, And consulting, you know, you're still, you're still maintaining using your skills. Sometimes I find that some people, when they retire, they don't want to do anything that they've done before. They've, they're done with it. They're over it. They don't want to keep their, foot in the game at all but you have so much you've learned over doing something for decades it's nice to be able to still be of use to mentor somebody else or to be able to be helpful and i I admire very much that you're still doing that and it's personal choice but i like that you're doing that yeah no i think i think it's important and and it's one of the advantages to you know retiring before you're totally burned out and fed up with something because I wasn't at that point at all. I still enjoyed medicine. I still enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed studying and taking the boards. Um, you know, I do more than, you know, what's required to keep a license up for continuing medical education because I still do enjoy it. I didn't really, you know, get to that point where I wanted to um, throw it all away. And you've seen, as a physician, I'm sure, people who were retired and just continuing to decline just overall, even if not from a dementia standpoint, but just going yeah, downhill. I, I, and you you must see yourself as going in a completely opposite direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the people who did the poorest, um, you know, had, had a lot of um, social isolation um, mm. for the most part. Um, I think maintaining, you know, as many um, close friend contacts and community contacts as possible is is one of the best things that people could do. Um, you know, that that isolation. And I was reading the other day that I think up to a third of people now live alone. I mean, in, in this country, it's you know, and and a lot of them are older. Um, and right behind that is people who are living alone. Um, in a not a supportive or not a real good partner, mm-hmm. um, you know, relationship situation. Um, and I think those are two of the things that I saw, um, you know, leading to, to poorer outcomes and also turning on the TV. I mean, just, you know, having Fox or CNN or whatever, just blaring all day. Um, I, not associated with good mental health at all. Well, it's not a substitute. I know some people feel like, well, I've got good networks on Facebook and all these social media. It's not the same thing as actively being involved with other people. No, it really isn't. In fact, you know, there have been some good studies um, that are that are done. Um, and, uh, you know, having a couple of close friends, you know, is so much better than, than the Facebook, um, or the social media thing. The social media thing tends to lead to comparisons. I'm better than they are. I'm not as good as they are. Um, uh, rather than, you know, just accepting yourself where you are, um, so, you know, social media in some circumstances can can help a little bit, but in some circumstances um, can be a negative for for some people. Yeah, I think for a lot of people it, it, it is. But it helps you to stay connected to other people far and wide, which is nice. But yeah. it is yeah. it's not a substitute for 
happy hour with your neighbors. It's just not the same thing. No, no, no. no. Or a cocktail happy hour with your family. Yeah, exactly. Yes, which we try to do here all the time. Um, you talked about um, that you wanted to discuss mental and emotional resiliency as part of your routine. Would would that be the classes that you're taking? Was that what you'd be referring to? Yeah, I think you know. I think um, if you if you look at the resiliency foundational to those, number one is exercise. We talked about. Um, exercise has a natural, you know, mood elevating, um, resiliency. Sleep would be mm. number two. If you had to add something, it's really important that people practice really good sleep hygiene, getting up at the same time, you know, exercise, sunlight exposure, um, uh, you know, what to do if you can't fall asleep, you know, learning, you know, mindfulness and body scan types of techniques. So that would be number two. Um, number three would be actually, you know, a formal mindfulness uh, meditation practice. And there's absolutely no doubt that, um, you know, um, both from a historical knowledge base, but also from uh, current positive psychology, um, that ha- that helps build in a tremendous amount of resiliency. Practicing self-compassion, um, and that's one of the things, trying to be kind to yourself, the way you talk to yourself, and then extending that compassion to other people, um, is a, is another way to build, um, you know, that, that type of resiliency. And then, you know, we talked about the mental thing with, um, playing the musical instruments and Spanish and classes, um, mm-hmm. social engagement. So I think those are all kind of kind of things, but but really the first thing that I would recommend most people adding is a meditation. If you're already in an exercise program and and uh, you're not having sleep difficulties, because those two will trump just about everything. Yeah, Absolutely. no, I know your sleep is really important, but uh, I I don't know about you. I've tried many types of meditation. I found mindfulness to be the easiest to do and it's not as complicated as some other forms it's it's just a matter of just being aware of what's going on right now that's all you have to do is be aware of where you are what's happening right now and then you can build from there but it's a nice technique to learn to do i think it's great you yeah, absolutely i think you know i think the the step that you take after you know awareness is watching how your thoughts come. So watch how the thoughts come, watch how they lead to an intention, which could potentially lead to an action, and trying to observe the thoughts coming and going, just like you would sensations in your body or your breath, trying not to attach to them, um, and then extending that formal practice into your daily life so that you can in your daily life um, say, Oh, you know, I'm seeing that feeling, that sensation. That's what happens when I start to get Mm -hmm. angry, what's going on, sit with it for a little bit before you unconsciously say or do something that, that, you know, isn't, isn't going to be positive for you or other people. So, um, yeah. So I think, you know, starting with, with the mindfulness, um, it's it's easy and it's hard at the same time. 
Um, yeah. You know, it's it's the 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 principles, just like the principles of Buddhism, are so simple, and the principles of mindfulness are so simple. Um, but it, it it requires regular effort and regular um, attendance, just like any other habit that you would develop. But it's mm-hmm. really worth it. Yeah. It is worth yeah. it. It's like an exercise. And then, as you said, then you yep. bring it into your everyday life afterwards because you are aware, like, wait a minute, I'm my anxiety. I see that I'm okay. I'm feeling that in my gut. I'm mm-hmm. starting to feel it in my mm-hmm. jaw. You recognize it and it yeah. helps to lessen yeah. the effects of some of the things you might be experiencing mm-hmm. as you're an observer of what's happening to you yeah. and what your reaction is. It's, yeah, there's a, you know, I mean, some of the, the instructors will give this rain. Um, you know, recognize mm, yeah. that it's going on. And you have, you know, and, and that's one of the things that meditation teaches you is to be sensitive to the sensations that are coming up in your body because they're telling you a lot. Um, and, you know, and then accept, okay, there's something going on, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up, you know, um, you know, uh, but, you know, where is that coming from? You know, you know, so it, it's that, you know, Recognize, accept, investigate, and I guess nurture. Yes, is the you know the, the emotions as they yeah. come. Yeah, yeah, it's very helpful. Well, I would like to thank you for your time today, Dr. Anderson. You've taught so much. There's so many wonderful points that you brought up here that are going to be so helpful to everybody. And um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, I would suggest that you contact me at my website, which is retirementpurposecoach.com. And I can get a message to Dr. Anderson for you if you have any questions about any of the things that he's discussed today or any of the programs that he's involved in. But uh, reach out to me there. And uh, just thank you so much for coming on and talking to me and for cool. being such a wonderful example of how to reach. Tire. I'm cool. really Thank, proud to thanks say. Thanks for asking really me. Awesome. I really appreciate it. It's been fun, and it, it has helped me kind of to reorganize and reassess. Um, so it's kind of nice. It's all it's, it's nice all around. Thanks. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach. So if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now. Because of you, because of you.